Welcome everyone to Exploring Optimal Health with Gregory Van Den Bolt. This is the podcast where I'm taking you on a journey towards exploring optimal health and biohacking. Why exploring? Because it means we're on a path towards constantly seeking ways to improve our well-being while staying curious and having an open mind. If you're eager to discovering how to live an optimal and meaningful life, this is the podcast you've been looking for. Today we have a special guest, Garnet Dupuis, who is the founder of Neurovisor, a brain engagement device. In this two-hour conversation, we delve into a range of fascinating topics related to how our brains process information. To ensure that you get the most out of this conversation, I wanted to give you a quick rundown of what to expect. The first half hour of the conversation is a deep dive into some technical concepts such as top-down versus bottom-up processing and brain engagement versus brain entrainment. It's a bit technical, but I promise it's worth it. If you're more interested in the practical aspects of the Neurovisor, I recommend starting from minute 34. Garnet provides valuable insights into how Neurovisor works and how it can help optimize brain function. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Garnet Dupuis. Today, I'm with Garnet Dupuis, integrated healthcare specialist with degrees obtained in the field of homeopathy, oriental medicine, massage therapy, and bodywork, biofeedback, and psychology, just to name a few. He's been involved in the human potential movement at an early stage, and he's dedicated his life to exploring consciousness, which eventually led him to inventing a brain engagement device called the Neurovisor, which we're going to discuss today elaborately as well. Garnet, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, my friend. A world away, I'm here in Thailand and you're uh, Western Europe, so it's a pleasure. There's indeed a, a little time difference there, and you're uh, based in Chiang Mai, where you operate the, your company from. I'm very jealous of you being in Thailand because I absolutely love the country. I love the food. I love the people. So uh, yeah. it's a, I can imagine it's a great experience to be there. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go all there, but uh, I, I agree to the, uh, to the list. Yeah. I briefly mentioned a couple of topics that we're going to discuss today, like uh, top down versus bottom up processes for the brain, brain entrainment versus brain engagement. Uh, we're also mm. going to talk about the, the fourth state of consciousness, neuroplasticity, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what do we do after the five-hour mark? Yeah, right? Kind yeah. of, yeah. But to give the audience a little bit of context about who you are and what you do, could you maybe explain what's what's part your interest in topics such as brain engagement, consciousness, and uh, altered states as well? Wow. Um I could make up a lot of stories. The truth is, I um, there's never been a choice. I've always, it, it seems obvious to me to be interested in consciousness. I mean, without consciousness, there are no other subjects or topics. And um, so I won't bother like trying to detail it, except that it's always been the most attractive thing to me. Call it consciousness, call it I don't know, the pursuit of reality, call it divinity, call it the sacred. I don't know. I mean, call it whatever you want. It's just the kind of the delicious combination of the obvious, amazing experience of just being alive, along with the kind of the, the mysterious element. And the fact that a lot of the times we have a hard time 
And by tradition and by impulse, we we believe that there is a better way, a mm. better way to be alive. So I'm interested in a better way to be alive and to help other people do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about, about your approach or philosophy is that you can very well conceptualize what is consciousness, for instance, in the in the work you're doing when it comes to top-down and bottom-up brain processes. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the brain a little bit because I yeah. think um, there are a couple of key concepts that, for me, uh, makes everything uh, easier to explore and sometimes understand. First thing is about brain and mind. I won't go there because I don't know what the answer is, you know, whether brain makes mind or mind makes brain or whatever, but we know one thing for sure is that a healthy brain is intimately related to a healthy functioning mind. So I figure um, working with the brain is incredibly important and working with the mind at a more psychological, spiritual level, they go, they're the same thing. I, I don't really see a big difference. So, okay, a couple of concepts. One, as you've mentioned, bottom up, top down. Like, what does that mean? I think it's really important to have some kind of framework. Uh, the framework is going to be simplistic. In reality, it's more complicated than the simple frame, but the frame is where you start. So bottom up, let's call that how we get information. Top down, that's how we organize and integrate information. So bottom up is all about information. Top down is about integration. So these two things are actually inseparable. Uh, and yet we can conceptualize them as a kind of a yin and yang, you know, the complementary relationship. They're not opposites. They must go together. So the thing about getting information, information is in the present state. Like right now, you and I are both having what we'll call an experience. And this experience in its purity is flowing bottom up as information. Top down only exists in a combination of the past and the future. So bottom up is present moment information. Top down is referencing the past to project or predict to the future. So uh, right there, to me, that's incredible. Uh, that's incredible that because, you know, these days in the kind of spiritual jargon of our times, we talk like Eckhart Tolle, amazing uh, person, that the power of now, like what does now mean? What, is, what does here and now mean? Well, here is not a place in space. You know, right now we're on a planet that's spinning mm -hmm. on its axis, it's orbiting the sun, it's tooling through the gal, you know, Right? The here is not a place in space. And the now is not a moment in time. Here and now are metaphors. Right? They're not spatial temporal descriptions of reality. It's just the way we make up a story, you know, to be, let's be here and now. Well, mm -hmm. what does it mean? It's a it's a quality of, of attention, it's a quality of, of awareness. And the bottom up is always feeding this capacity. It's the flow of information. And the top-down 
receives the information and tries to figure it out. You know, the like cybernetically speaking, uh, a system always seeks signal and noise. You know, it tries, our brain tries to make sense of nonsense all the time. Like right now you're looking at a screen and, uh, and so am I, and we, we are seeing something that makes sense. Uh, it, it's holding itself together. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, when we go looking for information, it's get a, it gets a little bit tricky. It gets tricky because our top down puts a filter on how we see things. Mm. Right? The past experiences that we have color our experience so that the perceptions that we have and the actions that we take are really not pure. It is something that is a mix or uh, an amalgam. So how do you get information? Because you need information to manage things, right? You, you need the information to organize something and you need the information when you need to make a change. And part of the fascination is that the normal consciousness, maybe we'll talk about the entropic brain a little bit, I'm not sure, but that right now, let's call this you know, common consciousness. In the entropic brain theory, it's called secondary consciousness. Right now, we're having experience and it's fitting, it must fit into a template we call reality. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 this thing that we think is going on. And um, we run filters, you know, there, that saying, seeing is believing, it's probably more accurate to say believing is seeing mm. that what you expect to see you will tend to see what you believe is real you will tend to recognize as real uh last century an extraordinary anthropologist margaret mead had a, really a marvelous um quote she was presented with some information which seemed uh, against her concepts right and she said this is the kind of information that I wouldn't believe, even if it was true. So then there's another way that we get information that is much less biased because our top-down brain is very, very biased. It has a lot of opinion, it loves to make predictions, and it hates making mistakes. So the information we get is coming into, you can say, a boss, if, I'm not sure if that's the right analogy, but you're reporting to the boss. The bottom up is reporting its experience to the top down neocortex, the new brain. And that brain has an opinion. It, it's already tilted. It's like, you know, it, it's not quite sure whether they should uh, accept your report as valid or not. So mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to bring new information into an existing patterned integrated system. We have, luckily, we have another aspect of our brain. In ectropic brain theory, it's called primary consciousness. Uh, we'll see if that makes any reference later. But uh, it's the old brain. And the old brain is also, it's totally natural. It's, it, it's healthy. It's, it's fine. We use it. Uh, it's the brain that we uh, visit uh, in psychedelics, for example. And... When we go into a state like that, we'll talk more, because I don't mean specifically psychedelic compounds, but I'll say the psychedelic state, or maybe call it the mystical state or non-ordinary 
state or altered state or something like that. So I'm not saying specifically and only with something like acid or mushrooms or whatever. So that aspect of our brain, which is totally normal, we don't necessarily use it frequently. We'll talk more about the circadian cycle and fourth state, but mm -hmm. that's a place where we can get information that the top down is much less able to bias and filter. We get information that is novel, it's unique. Then the challenge is to bring that back home and give it to the boss and see if the boss can integrate that information Mm -hmm. uh, into some new patterns, some new beliefs, some new ideas. So th this is the first thing th to talk about is that there is a bottom-up flow of information, mm -hmm. which ideally is pure, but actually is never really pure. Why? Because the top-down integrator has an opinion. It makes predictions. It, it wants what it believes to be true to be true. Mm. So that's the first thing, which is one of the reasons why changing habits could be so difficult. Mm. I think it's very thought-provoking about to think about the way how your body actually processes this information. Yeah. Prior to this in interview, I read one of your uh, articles where you talk about this topic of top-down and bottom-up processing, sure. and it really mm. made me think also a little bit about like bottom-up. For some reason, I linked it to intuition and top-down more mm -hmm. ratio. That kind of makes sense. It wasn't included yeah. explicitly like that in your paper, but I had to think about it that way. I, I couldn't help it. Well, I, yeah, I think we all have the experience of bottom-up and top-down and how we characterize it, whether in our own personal way or culturally. You know, the, it, We know that it's true. It's just we maybe haven't had the concept or the framework to think of it that way before. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the things to continue to spread it out a little bit is my, my personal fascination with change. Uh, change is to me the most important element and uh, the relationship of information. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the now past Gregory Bates, an anthropologist, but you know, systems thinker. And I, I like I think a lot of us, I struggled with what is information? Like, what do you mean? you know, matter, energy, information. It seems so etheric. And uh, he, he gave two bumper sticker statements that to me changed my whole appreciation. And it's a guide, it's a guide for me. He said, information is news of change. Mm. Information is news of change. And then he elaborated a little bit. He said, information is a difference that makes a difference. Information is a difference that, that makes, makes a difference. difference. Okay. Right. So it's like that is fantastic. Like, oh, yeah, it's true when when things repeat and are unchanging. We'll talk more about brain entrainment and brain engagement on this point. That the del delta being the mathematic for, uh, for change. I don't mean delta like brainwave delta, but you know the delta quality, the change quality, to me is. The whole thing, you know, I think it may be the oldest text on the planet. I'm not sure, but certainly the oldest extent, uh, the I Ching, right? Uh, the I Ching, literally Ching means classic and I is change. It's the classic of change. It looks at, on a binary system, the possibilities of change, the change dynamics. So 
you know, and of course that binary system lets us do what we're doing right now. We called it ones and zeros for the digital world and they called it yin and nong, but it's the same thing. So this issue of change and here, here we have, um, you know, let, let's give it a few different words, change, uh, adaptation, growth, learning, all of these things constitute a progression from something before to something else now, that when you grow, when you learn, when, to adapt. And, you know, going back, you know, people we quote like Charles Darwin, you know, it's not the strongest, the most intelligent, but it's the most adaptive system that survives. Mm -hmm. So here, here, here to me is a funny problem. And this is at the heart of the neurovisor and the technology and the principle of, of brain engagement, because it's also the issue of neuroplasticity. It's pretty much all one topic, uh, depending on kind of what side you look at. Our brain does an exquisitely good job of integrating information and creates reliable, repetitive patterns. Mm -hmm. it's, we, we have skills, some of them purposeful, some of them quite unconscious, but one aspect of our brain is very, very, very good at building order. You know, So when you look over at something, you don't have to find out what it is again and again at a virgin level. No, you glance over, you say, oh, it's a dog. Why? Because you've seen dogs before. If you never, ever, ever saw a dog, then you have to build on that from the from the bottom up. But we've seen enough dogs that we have a top-down prediction on dogness. So part of our brain, an incredibly important part of our brain, is good at learning things by experience from the past and can project those towards the future. However, we also have a brain that is capable of making change when change is required. So here you have this tug of war. I want order, but now I have to abandon order to create a new order, like letting go of things that don't work is a big challenge. So here we, here we are in this situation because you know, the big medical and very hopeful news in the past, you know, like decade or so about us humans is that the adult human brain is entirely capable of positive and progressive change. Now, we knew that the brain was changing in adulthood, but we thought it was only degenerating. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll, I don't know, you're, you're pretty young. But in the past, you hear these things like, you know, that your brain cell, you only have a certain number of brain cells. And when they die, they never come back again, this kind of stuff. And uh, it was considered medically true. Now it's not true. So what is neuroplasticity? Well, the important thing about neuroplasticity is that we can do something with this change in a positive way, in a positive way. You know, there, uh, you know, the three famous bumper stickers for neuroplasticity, fire it to wire it, you know, even before that, use it or lose it. But the one that intrigues me the most is the brain changes what matters. The brain changes what matters. So I'd have to say to you, you know, Greg, like what matters to you? The brain will know what matters based on what you do. Mm. Like right? well, because you know, the, basically, the I mean, I'm speaking out of the third person for the brain, but the brain is basically receiving information, and based on the information, is trying to figure out what you want 
and it figures it out in such a way that it'll predict it for the next time. So it's this thing called a habit or uh, at a psychological level, it's called a belief mm-hmm. uh, at a physical level. It's called a skill. But, you know, these are things that we ingrain by repetition. So how do you change a brain that resists change? Mm-hmm. That's that's that that to me is uh, that's both scary and fascinating because our brain is very very good at creating order. You know, the for a, a kid, I mean, this is still real to me. Like, if your mother makes a a a, gel, a peanut butter jelly sandwich in a certain way and cuts it at a certain angle, then you go over to your friend's house. And she makes it a little bit different, a little bit different kind of bread, and she cuts it side to side. It's like taste is good. (laughs) No, no, you can't handle it. Like this is wrong. (laughs) I'm being polite here, but I don't know if I can eat this. I mean, this is wrong. Mm. And this is this is what we do. This is what we do. So basically, so that we don't go crazy. That you know the 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 top down brain does its best to stop us from experiencing insanity. Mm. What I also hear you say is, so basically that a healthy brain is an adaptive brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like your body. If, you're, uh, if you never bend or twist or reach for something, and then one day your pencil falls off the desk, what you realize you can't even pick up the stupid pencil because your body won't bend that way. Why? Because you never bend it. Mm-hmm. So the same thing with the mind. If you don't bend your brain, when it comes time to bend it, it'll be stiff. It'll be rigid. So I think most everybody would agree that moderate regular exercise is beneficial. You know, without getting yes. detailed or what kind or just moderate regular exercise is beneficial. So we need to understand that our brain is physical. I'm not, I don't know about the mind thing. We already bumped into that. But the brain is physical. To, to separate the brain from the body is, is, is a mistake. Because even right now, when I do this with my hands, my brain is lighting up in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing more specifically to exercise our brain? They're like, well, I don't know. I, I, you know, well, a person says, I don't really need physical exercise because I, I, I work and I walk around a lot. Well, that's good. But that those um, general daily physical activities tend to be highly habituated. What exercise does, and it says, you know, Greg, you sit too much, so we're going to have you do some back bends because you don't normally do back bends. So exercise is taking something and kind of focusing where there's a deficiency so that it's now supplemented. So now you do backbends and it helps you a lot because you sit too much. Well, in the same way, we say, well, we use our brain all the time, but we use our brain in common, regular, repetitive ways, just like we use our body in common, regular, repetitive ways. So we need to do some brain backbends if we want our brain to be bendable because things will come along. They make a demand that require change. And guess what? We don't know how to change. Mm-hmm. Why? Because any system that has order wants to maintain that order. Because maintaining it is part of what makes it reliable. 
So if that order comes apart too easily all the time, then it's not reliable. It's not reliable. It has to be reliable and regular. But then when you want to change, somehow the brain has to kind of believe or accept that it must give up that order. Mm. And generally it doesn't give it up without a fight. Okay. So this is the next word that I want to introduce. I think it's very important to understand that life inside the brain for the brain is competitive. There's competition. Let me give a, a more somatic example. We have blood in our body, a certain volume of blood. We don't have enough blood to do everything all at one time, right? The blood has to shift according to functional demands, more to the muscles, more to the organs, more up, more down. We don't have enough blood to do everything simultaneously. So we have these phasic stages of resource allocation. The brain is the same. It does energetically. There's not enough resource for the brain to do a whole bunch of things simultaneously. Even though it's remarkable, it still has to kind of prioritize. So it takes energy to create order. It takes energy to sustain order. But it also takes energy to dismantle that order and create new order. So it's this thing, you know, don't go swimming right after you eat because you have to use muscles, but the blood is in your digestive system. I grew up, you know, hearing that kind of thing. So you were terrified if you had a sandwich, like I can't go in there for an hour, I'm going to die for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, my parents supported that fear um, to keep control. So here we are. Uh, and this is what I, this is the difference between brain entrainment and brain engagement. I made up this term, brain engagement. I think, you know, uh, the idea of having, you know, flashing, flickering lights with your eyes closed and, you know, pulsing sounds, for God's sakes, if I hate binaural one more time, I'll go insane myself. <laughs> but uh, the there was a, a discovery in the late 1930s uh, called the frequency following response. Mm -hmm. That when the brain was exposed to irregular signaling, after a period of time, the brain would begin to follow it. And then if you took the stimulus away, it would keep on its own for a while. So, uh, and then it was pretty much forgotten. Uh, there was no context for it. We didn't have the proper technology to utilize it. Along come the 1960s, early 70s, technology is progressing and there's an interest in consciousness because of the, the times, uh, psychedelics being part of it, and hence the human potential movement. So the frequency following response, that technicality became labeled brain entrainment. So mm -hmm. the brain will follow, it will entrain with a certain signal. First of all, you give the signal and it superimposes itself on the brain. The brain is not following yet. It's making the brain behave. Then normally after around six to eight minutes of unchanging signal, mm -hmm. the brain will say, oh, you mean like that? So even if you withdraw the stimulus, the brain keeps the beat for a while. It's like when you listen to music. When you start to listen to it, you start, oh, that's the rhythm, and your foot will begin to tap. But you don't have to consciously time your foot. Your foot is, is in training, following the frequency rhythm of the music. 
And then even when the music stops, you may have that thing kind of in your head and your foot can keep on tapping, but then something else happens and you kind of lose the rhythm and it's gone. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, brain, brain entrainment, uh, by the way, is real and it's good. Uh, I think it has to be more clear as to what the benefit is, because if you have a false expectation, you might be disappointed. Brain entrainment is a classic example of top-down influence on the brain. Mm -hmm. It's a classic example. And by the way, right away, let's go back to Gregory Bateson. Remember, information is news of change. Information is a difference that makes a difference. In the brain entrainment process, the methodology, does the signal change? No. Stays the same, yep. It must stay the same. Otherwise, if you're trying to dance to like free jazz, you'll never be able to find what is the rhythm here, right? I can't dance to this stuff. So uh, brain entrainment is an example of fortifying or reinforcing existing ordered states. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. It's like, okay, this is alpha. I got that. You know, and there are all these ideas about it. Yet, okay, and I, what we have to say, obviously, do you need to pay attention to it. No, you don't need to pay attention mm -hmm. to brain entrainment because the brain is automatically following the rhythm. It's the frequency following response. Okay. The thing is, change requires information. You can't change blindly. You need information. The information is telling you whether your predictions are correct or not. Technically, it's called a prediction error. Carl Friston calls it a surprise. Maybe you can call it novelty, that here comes the flow of bottom-up information through our senses, by the way, to base, basically. And it's like, oh, does, does this flow match my prediction? Mm -hmm. If it matches, that's great. But oftentimes it doesn't match. It's called a prediction error. So when your prediction doesn't match the experience, Either there's something faulty with your experience or the prediction needs to be modified. It needs to be modified. And this is where brain engagement comes in. Uh, the, you know, I, I call the neurovisor the change maker because I, I'm most interested in the ability to keep growing and adapting and learning and changing because mm -hmm. things are changing all the time. Some things don't change and that's fantastic. Uh, we need that. We need that quality of predictability. However, when things need to change, how capable are we of making change? Have we exercised our brain to be able to do backbends or pick up the pencil when you drop it? And guess what? Use it or lose it. If you don't do this, don't think magically you can do it. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, just the ability to focus and concentrate. You know, and if you don't practice that, you're going to lose the skill. Right? And however, if the only way that you concentrate with with extra and unnecessary tension, that habit sucks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now, uh, this is the the fascination I have is that we have a bottom up flow of information, but it it's coming through a lot of bias. Because the top-down integrator has a confirmation bias. You know what a confirmation bias is, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you think all horses uh, are bad, 
I was raised a farm boy. Sorry. If you think all, <laughs> and I, I didn't think that, but if you think all horses are bad, somehow you get that belief mm -hmm. and somebody takes you into a horse stable. Are you going to be able to experience impurity, mm. the interaction with the horses? No, because you have a confirmation bias. You're going to look for information to prove that you're right. You're going to look for a horse that wants to bite you. Why? Because we all want our version of reality to be correct because we don't want to be insane. I mean, fundamentally. So uh, this is this is the the core of my interest. Um, I consider I don't even know what it means anymore, but I consider myself a spiritual person. I've you know I was raised in religion, and then along came psychedelics, and then you know I practiced uh, with a, uh, in like a Hindu guru. And then uh, Korean Taoist and Tibetan. You know, I, I'm a traditionalist in the sense that uh, I really believe that it's important for us to refine our awareness. If nothing else, it's healthy, but there's a lot of other benefit. So when I look at the whole thing, we, you know, our our brain, I'll call it, you know, we're able to think like a lot, and that thinking is supportive. We're able to organize, we like concepts, and yet we still need to, to grow and learn and explore. So to me, this is the, the, the tension, the competitive tension uh, that we experience with, with our brain. And mm -hmm. this is what I work towards with the neurovisor mm -hmm. and the way that the light and sound is constructed. It is not attempting to entrain the brain, it's working towards the exposure and experience of novel information that can be meaningful so that when change is required, your brain knows how to do that backbend. Mm. My brain my brain definitely likes to organize top down as well, so to say. So I also kind of want to like briefly look back at what we discussed because at this point sure. in the conversation, I think we're making a bridge on what we now have discussed theoretically going to the neurovisor. Um, yeah. which where these topics come together. So we talked mm -hmm. about the top-down versus the bottom-up processes. Uh, top-down is also linked to what I read as us thinking creatures that feel, whereas bottom-up is more from the notion of feeling, feeling. that think. So there's... No, no, feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're feeling creatures that think. And that's the yeah. truth. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can choose one or the other. Fundamentally, we are feeling creatures that think. Okay, Beautiful. that's also a, a clear distinction then there. And then I also remember one of your uh, quotes, so to say, is that you can't think your way out of a problem, but you can feel your way uh, to a solution. And that really resonates yeah. with me as well. And also... Why, uh, why, 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 why? Tell me why. This loops back to what I previously mentioned about intuition versus ratio. Uh -huh. When reading, uh, while reading your paper, I really linked the, the top-down approach so to say to a ratio and bottom up to, uh -huh. to yeah, yeah. intuition by ratio I, I i suspect english you mean uh the rational rational yes personally i definitely try to live from an intuitive way instead of uh -huh. I, I think rationality is important and is really helpful critical on planet earth but i've always yeah. had the sense that i really would like to always follow my intuition and that then mm -hmm. comes back to the sentence, you can't think your way out of a problem, but you can feel your way into a solution. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a nice saying, right? It's like, and and yeah. it, per it perfectly yeah. summarized what we discussed about top-down and bottom-up as well. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I can't help but also mention that for some reason, both reading the paper and hearing you speak, is that the, the top-down approach, so to say, it almost sounds like it is critical, like it is helpful, but on the other hand, it also takes away like the intuitive part. Well, the, I mean, the, this is this is the conundrum that we have a brain that is capable of both. Both are normal. Much of it depends on the culture in which we are raised. What gets rewarded and what gets denied? Uh, I, you know, I think it's no surprise that Western culture. I'll consider myself a Westerner for sure even though I'm living in the Orient, mm -hmm. that uh, we are a scientific, rational, reductionistic, cultural mind, and that we get rewarded doing that. Our school systems, generally speaking, reward that. Um, and what gets rewarded gets reinforced. There are many things that we would consider unattractive or maybe even improper, maybe even dangerous, that in other cultures at other times were honored and respected. Mm. Right. So uh, I think we have to understand that what we are experiencing is it's an ontological thing. We don't I don't think we experience reality just as it is. I think we we create pretty much a mental movie and that we keep on casting characters and writing scripts to make sense so that again it's because you know there are people that do go insane uh and the thing is everybody needs to go insane regularly uh, this is if you want to talk about the fourth state of consciousness let's right? do that yeah okay uh every 24 hours we all go crazy a few times it's it's a biological necessity it's it's not an option Uh, it is like, you know, you need to eat and sleep. You need to, you know, to defecate. You, you know, we biologically, there are certain things that we need to do on a rather regular and predictable basis. And the circadian cycle has basically four different states. And we biologically need to enter these four states every 24 hours. Mm -hmm. One we'll call generally the waking state like us right now. Then you have the sleeping state. You know what I mean, about a third of the time. Within the sleeping state, we have these things called sleeping dreams. Mm -hmm. Within the waking state, we have this thing called waking dreams. Mm -hmm. But most of us don't even know about the fourth state, the waking dreams. <clears throat> And yet, biologically, we enter into it a few times every day. Mm the so-called hypnagogic moving from wake to sleep or the hypnopopic moving from sleep to waking and then the parahypnagogic anytime during the day that we slip out of the constraints of the regulated brain and into the altered states of sleeping. There, there are these bridge states and in those bridge states, we let go. We have amazing, you know, imagery and, and colors and lights and ideas and all these things. Uh, if we were in that state all the time in the waking, we'd be crazy. And this is part of the advanced theory of, for example, on schizophrenia, 
Schizophrenia is when these states kind of blur and blend. How your brain behaves when you're dreaming and how your brain behaves when you're waking, they kind of merge together. And so you get all these, uh, you know, apophenic patterns and beliefs and these ideas, like, you know, you're nuts. Well, our dreams, I mean, if we, if our experience was like our sleeping dreams, when we're awake, we'd be crazy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and yet, and yet we need to have sleeping dreams to consolidate memory, to reduce trauma, to create integration of experience. So, you know, we, we biologically, like just because a state is uncommon, doesn't make it abnormal. Mm. I'm going to repeat that. Just because the state is uncommon doesn't make it abnormal. And we have this, our brain is made to be able to shift into uncommon states. We can do it with meditations. We can do it with extreme exercise. We can do it with fasting. We can do it with intense prayer. We can do it with psychedelics. We can do it with float tanks. We can do it with the neurovisor that our brain has this ability. Mm. And if we don't visit, like one of the main reasons why, there are two main reasons, in my opinion, two main reasons why we don't benefit and recognize and enjoy the waking dream state. Number one, uh, the thief is electricity, right? We can make our nights into days and we and we don't even have to go outside and we have light that Imagine a past not too long ago where there was no electricity for lighting. Much of a person's experience would occur in semi-darkness, dim, or actual pure darkness. We don't have to go back to, like, imagine caveman days, although you can, you know, the Mesolithic brain and all these things, Neolithic, that what it's like. But we don't spend very much time. When's the last time that you spent a chunk of time awake in the dark? I can't remember. There I you thought, go. Yeah. Okay. So this is a problem. You understand? Uh, this is a problem because we are robbing ourselves. This is what you know, you're know. you aware of, what I call, we suffer from a fourth state deficiency syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's a circadian problem. Like if you take any of the four circadian factors and you deprive an animal or certainly a human, if you don't let them stay awake, if you don't let them sleep, if you don't let them dream, are they going to be healthy? Absolutely. No, not. no, you can kill them with that. It's torture. Why do we think it's okay to not experience the waking dream state? Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's not culturally recognized or reinforced. It's not important. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other thing that can, why would, because we don't have, we spend too much time in artificial light. We don't respect the dark. That's one thing. The other is this thing that we generally call stress. Most of us have lost a fundamental skill. That fundamental skill I'll call deep conscious relaxation. The ability to, I mean, even the, like what is relaxation? Well, you start with the body, right? What does it mean to keep going? I'll say deeper, but there's no direction. I don't know it's higher or deeper, or, but like we usually say deeper, right? To go deeper into relaxation, keep getting more relaxed, keep letting go, but stay consciously aware. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, I'll say the, the royal weave, you know, we don't know how to do it. We've lost that fundamental skill. We relax 
so you know we'll we'll take a hit of weed or smoke some uh, or uh, take a shot of tequila or 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 I mean all the different kinds of things or medicate ourselves to do it. We have fundamentally lost the ability to go deep, deep, deep into the relaxed state and remain conscious. Partly because we're sleep deprived, we're stressed. For every one of us, for the most part, as a person begins to relax, they lose consciousness and they slip. <laughs> right into sleep. Mm -hmm. Well, it's in to be able to consciously experience the fourth state, the waking dreams, you've got to be able to relax. Mm -hmm. Relax yet maintain awareness. And our culture does not develop an appreciation for that. As a matter of fact, you know, we're praised for optimizing and superhuman and the old work ethic and, you know, how many push-ups can you do and the that ability to let it all go. Because I don't think relaxation is the goal, mm. but I do firmly believe it's the gateway. I find your philosophy very fascinating and it really makes me think about that conscious awareness that's linked to the fourth state. And I have to think about, I live in the woods and I enjoy... Mm. A walk in nature mm -hmm. very often and beautiful there's always a bench where i where i sit down as well mm -hmm. close, to, close to where i live and after walking i always take a moment to to sit on that bench and then to mm -hmm. look at, look at the trees and hear the birds chirping and good often, for you often at that point that's also really where where i feel like an organism which might sound mm -hmm. weird but i really oh. feel my body like when i breathe in and when I mm -hmm. exhale, it's it's a very dynamic experience, actually, of like feeling as, as being an organism. And to me, that really sounds like what you're referring to as the fourth state of conscious, consciousness, like infusing mm -hmm. awareness to something something that you're doing or something that you're mm -hmm. not doing. It can be both, right? Yeah, and yeah it doesn't matter. Yeah. We, well, I mean, that's, I mean here, we, here we are. That's the thing that... Um, whether you call it fourth state or whether you call it relaxing, you know, I mean, there are a few famous examples. So Edison and, and Salvador Dali apparently did much of the same thing in different ways. Edison would, in the afternoon, would relax, hold ball bear, metal ball bearings in his hand and relax. And then as the ball bearings would inevitably hit the floor, it would bring like, okay, what are you thinking about? Inventors do this. Salvador Dali would do the same thing. He used metal keys. So... Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, famously, and you know, I can't be with assurance here, but I understand it to be true that uh, supposedly Einstein would do a lot of short naps. Well, if, if you don't have the skill, you take a nap in the afternoon and you go, you're dead asleep. You know, you can wake up and you're disoriented. And like, Why? Because your system is stressed and fatigued. It's, it's deficient in rest. So forget it. But when you develop the, this hypnagogic skill set that nap is that you just move sliding down i mean if you want to talk about brain like the alpha theta and you hang there and it's a glorious show you, you know images start to come and colors and geometrics like, like you know like the neurovice because it's the same brain it's the same brain and it's like this delicious creative for me the most the most fertile is the hypnopompic that uh i'm one of these guys i like to get up early 
and and the that that state which I over time learned how to kind of expand and be there. I get like just these solutions, ideas, boom, 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 boom. And what I get in what I don't know, like a few seconds, I get into my office. It takes me three hours to try to capture what was just obvious in three seconds. Mm. And that's the the beauty. Uh, sometimes I'm asked, you know, about the, the neurovisor is quite complex. The way that I designed the signaling, uh, it follows, you know, cybernetic principles and entropic brain principles. It's a little bit, you know, technical. But sometimes in the past, mostly I was asked, well, how do you know how to do it? Like, how can, how do you know how to do this stuff? Okay, partly I, I you know, I study a lot, and you know, I'm a smart guy, and all, all those things that are more like more and more like evident or obvious. However, the truth is many, many, many times I get the idea while I'm in the light sound neurovisor experience, when I'm in, in brain engaged states, in the sensory enrichment states, boom, 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 boom. Uh, the, the idea, the, the clarity, the understanding, like the boom, it just happens. It just happens. And that's very, very attractive. I like it a lot. It feels good. Let's yeah. uh, let's talk about the Neurovisor because I have the device okay. right here. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. For the ones that are listening on audio, unfortunately, uh, you can't see it, but I will share some uh, snippets of this episode on Instagram as well. So uh, you can, you can yeah, you go to neurovisor.com. You can see yeah. photos if you want. Cool. And Keep it's, going. Basically, it's basically a device with nine uh, LED lights that you put on yep. put on your head i think it's better if you explain because you know in much more uh detail what is actually happening with the device um <laughs> I, I would <laughs> it, it, it it comes with an app i think that's important to mention and in the app there's yeah. different compositions or journeys that combine light and sound therapy so you have both the device and an app that plays the the journey and uh -huh. then Magic happens for some reason. Well, some kind of earbuds or headphones right? yeah, as yeah, well. As well, yeah. Yeah, well, okay. Um, there are lots of ways to explain it. So let, let's just choose one and try to keep it simple uh, enough. Of course, your eyes are closed. That's one thing that's important. The, um, the brain changes what matters. So what does that mean? Like, what do pain and pleasure have in common? Right. If if right, I'll, you know, I always use the same stupid example. So if anybody who's heard other podcasts, here we go. Let's say right now, um, for some reason, uh, like your left knee, I came with a like an ice pick or a dagger and jabbed it several times in your left knee. And and I don't know how this would happen, but let's say you had this suddenly very pleasurable, intense orgasm in your left knee. I don't know how. Right. What what does the dagger pain and the orgasm pleasure have in common. Your attention goes to your left knee, right? So, you know, the brain changes what matters. What matters is what draws your attention. So attention is the first step in neuroplastic change. Mm -hmm. The first step. So if you introduce a process, in this case, I'm calling it brain engagement. It's also sensory enrichment. There's a whole theory there. Or it's also brain priming. There's another neurological theory there. They're all kind of the same thing from different points of view. The very first thing that has to happen is like, hey, pay attention. I'm talking to you. If you want to enjoy a movie, well, you got to kind of pay attention to the story. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're there and you're half sleeping and talking to somebody, you're not going to get it. So part of the element 
in the session is to draw attention. This is 180 degrees opposite to brain entrainment. I'm not coming down on brain entrainment. I use elements of brain entrainment as well here and there for certain purposes. Brain entrainment does not require attention. That's the whole point. It's mm. a frequency following response. That's to say, just lay back and relax. What do you have to do? Just don't fall asleep. Other than that, it's okay. But in this case, <clears throat> there has to be attention. The next thing is, I'm going to say, Greg, you know, stop thinking about that bench. Get yourself back here. That, that we have to start to pull the brain away from what it was doing before. Mm -hmm. That's part of the getting attention is not just, hey, pay attention, but maybe they're paying attention to something else. No, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. So there are certain kinds of processes where that, hey, and then there's some kind of destabilization that takes place that helps break apart what you were paying attention to. There's a destabilization, what sometimes called dishabituation in there. Because not only do I want you to pay attention, I want you to pay attention to this, to this. Because you can be having a conversation with somebody and then, you know, uh, your whatever, your partner is in front of you and they say, hey, stop focusing on them, listen to me. So sometimes the attention is there, but the attention is not given to the issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then with this mix up, you kind of scramble the eggs a little bit. The brain gets hungry for signals. If you disrupt the signals, because the brain loves order, it'll always seek signal and noise. If you create a bunch of noise, it'll definitely get the, like if you're sitting there and right now there's like a bang, 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 bang uh, behind you in, in your apartment or your house, what's gonna happen? It's gonna get your attention. It's gonna take your attention away. And what do you want to know? You wanna know what made the noise, mm -hmm. right? Is somebody breaking into the house? Uh, is there a moose, you know, uh, coming in the door? I don't know if you live in the woods. I'm from Canada, so give me a break. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, the dog just knocked over the lamp again. So uh, in a visor session, there's attention. There is the shift. There's a softening of what you were thinking. And when that appetite is there, then in comes what's called the vector. In comes the, the driving signal. And the brain has an appetite for it. And then you move it along a little bit more. And then you push it by the side. You kind of create conflict. Because that's what you do in movies, right? If you're writing a movie script, and in the course of the movie, you want to know more about that particular character. Yes. What's yep. the, the, ba the, ba the basic script technique? Is you create conflict for that character. Then you see how that character behaves when they're stressed. So you get to learn more about the depth of the character. So the same thing in the in the visor session, that once it's the brain says, yeah, oh, now I know what you mean. You mean that, yeah. And I, and I say, you really think you understand? Push it a couple of times, hit it a couple of times, create mm -hmm. conflict and see whether it comes back reinforced or not. And then if it comes back, then you give it some reward. It's a very neurologically based principle and the signals are composed in that way. And by the way, to make a point, uh, the soundscape element is totally integrated into the light choreography. So it's not like you can play any music. That's like going to a cineplex where you watch one movie and you're listening to the soundtrack of the movie in the next theater. Mm -hmm. No, your brain, your brain is always going to go 
where the signal is most evident. That's your brain. If you're in a, a big party and you hear, yeah, 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 then somewhere in there you hear, Greg, boom, your brain will jump to that selective signal. Why? Because you're biased towards it. It, it recognizes it. The, the brain will always go towards the most recognizable signal. For people that do, you know, flickering light things and then have any kind of music playing, it can be very pleasurable in the short term. Uh, it's called a dissociative state or a depersonalized state where at that point, your brain can't really figure the light patterns and the, the music is coming in and challenging uh, it. So the, the, the brain is kind of left in this suspended neutral state, which if you're never in that state, feels kind of nice. Why? Because you're not thinking a bunch of stuff all the time, right? You're in this temporary neutral kind of floating zone. Mm -hmm. So it can be relieving. It's like, oh, you know, I don't have to think about my bills or getting to work or what, you know, it's just like, ah. the problem is, is it's not a dynamic neuroplastic state because, okay, there are three things you've got to have for any neuroplastic method. And then there's a fourth one I'll call the secret sauce. Any method, and this includes the neurovisor. The first thing is you have to have sustained attention. Mm -hmm. If the sustain, if there's no sustained attention, the brain is not going to respond because it doesn't matter. Quote, unquote, the brain changes what matters. You know what matters because you your attention goes there. Second thing, this is really important. There's this thing called marginal demand. Marginal demand means it's just a little bit difficult. Not hard, like, ah, oh, man, but just like, you know, if you, can comfortably, if you can comfortably lift 25 kilos, I'm not going to give you 35. I'm going to give you 26. So it's just, some people will you'll notice with neurovisor experiences, like like kind of like a little bit of like hang in there every once in a while. That's because you're exercising the brain. For neuroplastic change, there has to be a reason for the change. And like if you're lifting a weight, because the weight is a little bit difficult, your muscles will change. Mm -hmm. If there's no difficulty, then there's no reason for change. So you know, change requires that inducement that like mm, a little bit there because that focuses and reinforces. So you need sustained attention, marginal demand. And the third one is described in different ways. We can call it belief or faith or open-mindedness or willingness. Like if you come into it and think, ah, this is a bunch of shit. I'm only doing it because, you know, I'm being forced to do it by the parole officers. I don't know, mm -hmm. something, right? <clears throat> but this open-minded willingness, it sets a certain kind of psychological atmosphere to go through the process that you're willing to go through the process because you kind of believe in it so any brain engaged neuroplastic method has these three things that you have to have sustained attention marginal demand i'll call the buy-in or the belief the fourth one the secret sauce makes those other three exponentially more effective and this fourth state is a very complex biochemical neurological state, right? It's called enjoyment. If you enjoy it, mm -hmm. all those other things work even better. Okay. So, okay. I'll do the quick thing too, because I think it's really helpful. Sensory enrichment, because this also can be categorized as sensory enrichment. Mm -hmm. This is an yeah. old technique, but there are five things I'll do here. There are five things that uh, you need to have a successful sensory enrichment. It, it's a subset of environmental enrichment. It's being used again now 
uh, in autism and dementia, uh, environmental enrichments. So I do a subset called sensory enrichment. Okay, what do you need? Combine two senses that can happen simultaneously. So like in autism, they're using a lot of touch and smell right now. They're combining two of the senses. I combine light and sound. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the experience by bringing these together needs to be uncommon. It's not something you normally experience. There's something unusual, unique about it. It's different, remember? It's a difference. So combine two senses simultaneously. The experience should be uh, unusual, uncommon. The third thing is you should be free of distraction, so you're not involved with other things. The fourth thing is you do it of your own free will. And the fifth thing, can you guess what it is? Same secret sauce. Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Mm. Yeah. If you do, not only will the brain change behaviors, the brain actually grows new nerves. Actually. And this is from rodent studies have way back, you know, in the, the, the 1940s up until now. So the neurovisor, uh, okay, yeah, partly I'm praising the neurovisor because, you know, I made it, so I like it. But that these five things are the perfect design template for what the neurovisor is. It's, it's, it's exactly that. And then there's the brain problem, which we won't go into right now. So, you know, what I've been looking for my whole life are understandings, processes, techniques, and tools, and good people to share them with and to learn from. Mm -hmm. And right now, I mean, that's the, the target uh, that I'm aiming for uh, with the, the neurovisor. And mm -hmm. there are so many applications, you know, that it's, uh, it holds a lot of promise in my mind. And yeah. it's, it's fascinating to hear all of this because I've been, been using your uh, neurovisor for quite some time now, but I understand what's happening in uh, a session much more profoundly now, especially the, the signals mm -hmm. changing, because also for the audience, oh, yeah. give them a, an idea of what's happening. So you have your eyes closed and there's LED lights flickering, but uh -huh. although you although you have your eyes closed, you see you can see like a lot of colors and patterns as well, uh, geometric yeah. patterns, Mandela-like images, imagery, and these change quite often. And as far as I understand now, that has to do with like those the challenges that you mentioned that your yeah. brain needs to yeah. keep learning. The you gave the analogy with the with the weights. You need a slightly heavier weight to to train the muscle, just like the brain might need some some slight changes uh, when it comes to these yeah. metric patterns to actually enhance right. neuroplasticity. Yeah. Right. Well, well, think about you know, just think about music. Is that I mean. Uh, this is I don't use music. Uh, it's a I, I call it soundscapes. It's a different principle. But music is just sound that changes in attractive ways. That's music, right? It's sound. Some sound doesn't change in attractive ways. It's noise. Mm -hmm. uh, some sound doesn't change. It'll just stay. But you know, music is sound that changes in attractive ways. And you don't have to think to get the message in music. It's pre-intellectual. Now you can add lyrics, which is symbolic signaling. But you know, if I'm if I'm a sad guy and I write a, a sad song, but I don't tell you, Greg, that it's a sad song. I don't have a title. I, there's no words that say here. Just listen to this. It's just, I mean, at, at a factual level, it is. It's just a bunch of pitch and rhythm and tone and you know these kinds of oscillations of a mechanical vibration, and yet you have an experience 
you know, what I say about music is we enjoy music not because of the sound we hear, but because of the experience we feel when we hear that sound. It's the it translates over into an experiential conscious experience. That's crazy. Our brain is capable of doing that, and it's also capable of doing that with light. That the light does not have a meaning, just like this, the music doesn't have it. The music itself is its own meaning. Like the what if I showed you the color blue, you say, Well, what do you mean? No, I don't mean anything, just experience blueness. Right. Have an experience. You know, Stanislav Grof, amazing researcher, said the only way to have an experience is to experience the experience. Mm. <laughs> right. So uh, that's the, the beauty. You know, it's, it's what I call knowing without thinking, mm -hmm. knowing without thinking. You previously mentioned Eckhart Tolle as well. And I remember in his book, yeah. A New Earth, that I think it's the first chapter that he gives the example of, of a flower. And mm -hmm. he he basically mentions that at the point that you call it a flower, you name it a flower, you all, yeah. all, already take away the the vibrancy yeah. or the, the awareness slash consciousness yeah. of that specific um, experience. Experience, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but you see, but that can be used in good. Like it's a fact that happens. And for people that have bad feelings, experiences, one of the psychological methods is you give that feeling state a name. Mm -hmm. You can, whether you just call, oh, here's fear again. As soon as you cognitively label it something, you name it, you move it one step away from yourself. So you can use that as a positive tool. Some people even give like a bad feeling, a personal name, like they'll call it Walter. Walter, what are you doing, man? You know, you're here again. Why are you so? This process, this is cognitive. This is top-down. Top-down impresses significance on things based on bottom-up flow. I think this is actually essential, Garnet. Hey, can you repeat that? Yeah. It, it really resonated. Yeah, uh, I wish I could remember things that I say. The uh, the the top. I don't know. I'll I'll just go fresh again. Mm -hmm. You know, the top the top-down will. Uh, insert meaning or significance selectively on things. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it does. That's why when you see that flower, thank you, Eckhart, when you see that flower, you say, oh, flower. Well, even in that cognitive act, you sacrifice something to gain something, right? What have you sacrificed? The, the virgin nature of the raw bottom-up experience. Mm -hmm. But what you've gained is a reference now so that as you move around you won't step on those things no that's a flower that like we we build this structure we build this structure so that it's it's like we don't have enough brain power to process all information in the moment at a virgin level but th and that's why certain meditative states that's why, uh, for you know, those of you that have you know had babies, you know, the first time you you see your your newborn child, it's pure, unless you've got a whole bunch of weird sh shit in your head that gets in the way of that, right? But it's that, and that's why the psychedelic experience can be so profound 
Uh, that's why certain hormonal states, you know, being about the oxytocin just like magnetizes the mother into the eyes of her baby. And it's like looking into the face of God, you know, why? Because it's so real that you really are a feeling creature and the thinking is not even there in that moment, mm -hmm. you know? So this is why, you know, so many people are drawn to exceptional or uncommon or altered states. It's because you feel so alive. You know, you're you're not you're not two one two or three steps away from your life. I remember as a kid watching. You know, I'm older than you. I watched these World War II movies, uh, you know, on TV and all. And I remember this one. I don't remember the movie, but this thing always stayed in my mind. These guys, you know, they're GIs, of course. You know, they're American, and they're trapped down. And this one guy is there, and he's like, how much he hates war. And he hates the whole thing. Why? Why? And this other guy is there, and you can see he's not agreeing. And I forget the you know the the lines, but the point was he said he says in situations like this, I've never felt more alive in my life. Right? The immediacy, the danger, the literal life and death risk in that moment that he felt more alive than ever in his life. Why? Because it's pure, bottom-up, raw experience, and it is full, full, full of life. And this is what we we crave. We we have this appetite for life just as it is. Mm. I mean, those moments are precious. One of you know, a few seconds in that what we call state can keep you going for a long, long time. Right. So. Uh, to me, this is precious because one is it decreases uh, the hard times we have, the suffering. Um, it increases a life reinforcing Experience. pleasure. Oh, and, you know, pleasure. and it's but it's, it's pleasure and it's purity. It's not pleasure where you you lose too much when you gain the pleasure. That it it's a life reinforcing pleasure. It's it's the feeling of of that right nowness and we you know the thing is is that if you get filled with joy and you want to dance but you haven't done anything but sit in a chair for 20 years you're not going to be able to have your body express which i call second language your body is not going to be able to express the feeling that you have because you want to throw your arms up and jump and dance and you know jump around but your body can't do it why do you think your brain is any different you know, we, we have to exercise the joy elements, we, we, you know, that ability to let go and kind of be crazy, but in a, in a positive way for periods of time, and then bring that craziness back as joy into our life so that the mundane things are now shining. This comes down as well to what you said about like the experience, actually experiencing life without giving a name and then therefore also not giving value to what we might perceive as either good or bad or the war example is a very a very strong one as well that it's strange but it's effective right i mean that i would i mean that's a long long time ago on the calendar for me but i still remember that moment because it struck me as being massively insightful and it comes down to the to the purity again of experiencing life and then also the fourth state of consciousness if i can yeah. if, if, if i may because yeah. uh, what i understand there is that 
the fourth state is kind of linked to to which extent you infuse consciousness in a certain moment. And that also then loops back, like if you can do that in, a, in every given moment, then loops back to the more the, the bottom-up approach, like the bottom-up wave processing yeah. things, which uh -huh. then comes back to the war example too. Is that is that a, like? Do you think that's a well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's like no, no. I think you know uh, we're all painting with kind of broad brushstrokes right now because it's you know getting a perspective that number one makes sense, number two feels correct. You know, and I, I think like okay. this, this quote unquote makes sense to me. It, it helps me understand why I do certain meditative processes. It helps me understand why it is that I enjoy being with wild animals. You know, it, it helps me understand also all the stupid things that I do and why, why habits are hard to change, hard to make, but even harder to change. You know, this, this competition in the brain for organization and also at the same time, adaptive discovery. You know, I, I won't go into the details now, but it was a big moment for me about a year ago or so when I'll say I realized, assuming that it's true and I'm not just like mm -hmm. nuts, but that, you know, from mythology, Joseph Campbell world, the, the hero's journey, to me, the hero's journey is the prototypical myth because it follows prototypical consciousness and prototypical neurology. Uh, I won't go into it right now, but the neuroplastic activity is the template for the hero's journey that that is what we every change requires some heroism mm -hmm. change is heroic and part of it is letting go part of it is the resistance part of it you know in the myth you know going underground because that was their what we would say going into our unconscious friends and enemies and tests, the discovery of something that's important, taking that thing that's important and bringing it back as a treasure uh, into your common life. And more importantly than having the treasure, that treasure benefits other people. That's, that's the beauty of positive change. I mean, it, change is heroic. And um, that makes me feel good. <laughs> and about about that change and also coming back at the the, the neurovisor and the the compositions that are included in the app uh, whether sure. you want to focus you just updated the app where so there's now yeah. the brain gym too where you can basically yeah induce that's a big deal certain states uh brainwave states whether it's uh, delta theta gamma or, or beta as well i i find it fascinating the the alpha yeah. uh, compositions really are really something when i whenever i do a session after 11 minutes also after 11 minutes i also have to mention your 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 brain is in a hyperplastic state right so we're yeah, talking about yeah, neuro, yeah. neuroplasticity but after using the device your brain is even in a hyperplastic state for quite some time a couple of hours one to one to two hours give or take yeah one to two hours yeah. oh yeah this is where i wanted to go with the with this story how long sure. does it, it take for a, a brain to change after using the device because personally okay. I've, I've experienced short-term effects which is basically the hyperplasticity but also like a very deep relaxation after using the device 
because yeah. during during the composition, there's a lot happening. So it takes some time before you actually relax. So on the short term, yeah. after the session ends, the relaxation comes in. And then there's also long-term effects, which is the, the neuroplastic change. Maybe yeah. you can talk to how, how long that would take. Was that a question? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With a lot of okay. context. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, a couple of things. One is uh, I like analogies. So in this case, uh, I say um, all the time that the real effects of the light sound session begin when the light and sound end. Okay, what's the analogy? Eating food. You sit down, here's a beautiful you know, dish in front of you. You enjoy, you're hungry, you enjoy the taste of the, the, the whole thing. When you finish eating, and this is not exactly true, but you get the analogy. When you finish eating, you begin digesting. And following the digestion is the assimilation. And then the assimilation results in the metabolic changes. So this is not instantaneous. There is a time period here. So the first thing to understand is that the experience of the session should be like a delicious meal or, or whatever. I mean, it, it, is, it is experientially and subjectively rich. There's no doubt about it. And also like a good meal, you can enjoy the, the you know, if you, whatever you love to eat, you know, I like the chocolate cake, but I can't eat too much, <laughs> right? So there's that aspect. Okay, so okay, let's, let's just put that aside. Keep in mind, there's the digestion. We can call it the integration. Remember, information up, followed by what? Top-down integration. Don't do it. Okay. The other thing is the difference between state and trait. State, trait. The state is easy come, easy go. And for the state effect, you need the stimulus to generate it. Over time, with some amount of regular reinforcement, that state becomes less transitory. It lasts longer. And incrementally, that state will transform into a trait. Mm -hmm. And the trait means that it can happen, but you don't need the stimulus present to make it happen. This is what we experience with the neurovisor. You can use it because you feel X. Let's say you feel like shit. You're like, ah, whatever. You're bummed or you're tired or you're upset, sad, whatever. You can use it to provoke this short-term, very positive and attractive state change. But it doesn't mean you're not going to be angry anymore, ever. But right now, it decreases it. So to understand state to trait, I'm going to get a little bit technical. I won't take long. It'll be short. We have to understand the four aspects of neuroplastic change. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, they have names. I'll say them briefly. First one is called functional neuroplasticity. And that can happen in a few seconds to a few minutes. So that synapses that are already there, everything is there, but they don't normally connect that way. They connect that way. It's nothing foreign to you. It's just that you haven't been like that for a while. Functional neuroplasticity can happen very quickly in seconds to minutes, and it can last for quite a long period of time, meaning like minutes to hours. But then it's going to dissolve. Easy come, easy go. The next one is synaptic. First one is functional. Second one is synaptic 
neuroplasticity. And for that to happen, synapses are there, but they don't usually connect in that way. They're there, but they're not related to each other. So they start to relate to each other. And for that to take place, the process is over the course of some days to some weeks, depending on the challenge. The easier challenge can be quite quick after a few days. The ones that are more neurologically distant, it can take longer. So days to weeks of regular exposure will start to generate synaptic neuroplasticity. Then the next one is the neurogenesis, neuro neurological plasticity. That's where you actually begin to grow new nerves. To make these synaptic connections, you've got to have the nerves. Sometimes there aren't enough nerves. That's why, like in sensory enrichment, they did rodent studies, the areas of the brain actually physically increased when they had rodents in a sensory enriched environment. And the ones that had same genetics, same species, same diet, same everything, that looked all ruffled and acting pissy and fighting, their brains actually shrunk. So the, the neuroplasticity takes place over months, right? Then the last one is called systemic plasticity, and that's a whole system integration, and that takes place over years. So mm -hmm. neurologically, this is how habits are formed, good mm -hmm. ones or bad ones. Uh, because you could think of the neurovisor as brain exercise disguised as entertainment, perhaps, like an interesting, fun, unusual. Some people quite like it a lot. Like any exercise, there's a, a rhythm and regularity, the degree of demand, how much it's reinforced, how much time. The brain is physical. Just about everything you want to understand about the brain, if you understand your general, your soma, it's like that because it's only one set of principles. Like there's only so much blood, there's only so much energy, all these things. Uh, using the neurovisor, you can use it for short-term stage. Some people just use it for entertainment, like healthy entertainment. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is going to be, I don't, you know, instead of you know, like three glasses of wine, which might be fine, I don't drink, but, you know, they say, let me do this. Uh, and then there's change that is more purposeful. You know, you just, you just like, I, I have to, like, <clears throat> I got to focus, man, like, in that case, you're on you're on a plan, you know, with expectation. I think these days, you know, one of the things that I, I I'm quite concerned about is what I call the consumerism of consciousness, the uh, where awareness becomes just another product. We have all this social media, and like even I'm in the game, and I'm quite sensitive to it because I value learning and healing more than profit. I'd like my business to be successful, duh, of course, but my motivation is not I'll do anything to make money. And so in these situations where the promises are like extravagant, I don't know. I mean, I'm not dissing anybody, you know, directly, but all this superhuman stuff and, all, you know, where the expectations are so high, so high. And then the promises to me, it's like t turning consciousness and awareness into just a product. It's like the consumerism of consciousness. I'm quite sensitive uh, about it. And you could claim, well, organized religion has done that all the time. I'm not going to go there. I guess I just did. But anyway, the uh, so like exercise, you see these videos, you too can have six pack abs and, you know, a rock hard ass and, uh, you know, it's, and your body is not like that at all. Well, you can be better. You know, one of the things I say is that 
whatever the state of your brain is today, it can be better tomorrow. Because if you set the expectations too high and a person just gets 50% there, actually that's phenomenal change because the expectations were false. But they feel like they failed because they're not superhuman now. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't they can't climb an icy mountain naked and you know get to the top and stick the flag. Halfway up, it's like I'm like this is too much. So <clears throat> I think understanding as much as we can biologically and understanding that, you know, I know resilience and optimization and all the words. I don't if you're in the world of of healing and teaching where I spent my life, it's humbling. Mm-hmm. It's humbling when you're working with people that need something and want something, whether it's just relief, I think that, you know, we just have to be sensitive to what call it honesty mm-hmm. uh, or, or the biology of things. So when I, when I described the, this thing about the four aspects of neuroplasticity, it puts a timeline and yeah, hyperplasticity, you know, you're in this state of what, like, what is that um, increased neurological sensitivity? Is what you're in. That's why some people can, you know, uh, the neurovisor. I, I don't need it to be competitive with any other devices. the The idea is that you can use it very effectively as a brain priming device, as a brain priming experience. It sets up the brain with an appetite, a hyperplastic sensitivity. So whatever you do next, any device that you use, or you do your yoga class, or you take a walk in the woods as a brain priming dynamic, it makes what happens next better. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to echo what you also said with regards to a better brain tomorrow and also mm-hmm. getting better every day bit by bit because that's also, even when it comes to like exercising, that's definitely also my approach. So that definitely resonates. And yep. what I what I do like about the, the neurovisor is that those 11 minute sessions that you can do them every day as well, that they're like very low effort, basically bits of improvement that you can just do no. as, a, as a lunch break, for instance, or before you start your day. Yeah. 11 minutes and you're, uh, after I always take five or ex- 10 extra minutes to really relax and experience what actually happened because to me, that's yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you, if you use it, but like in, in the app, especially more evident in the new app, which is, the Android release was today. I think the iOS release is, I don't know, in a couple of days, I hope. You know what that world is like. That you have an option to have a guided breathing session before and or after yeah. so that you can choose like harm, like HRV breathing or box breathing, you know, balanced breathing. It's in the app so that you say, okay, I want to have one minute of harmony breathing, which is the, the HRV, like five in, five out. And when it ends, I want to have five minutes of that or 10 minutes of that. So you can you can create this envelope of optimis, optimizing the 11 minutes of the light and sound by dropping into a, a breath-guided state before and then after. And the, the truth is, is that you, you, the brain actually gets more out of it. And that's built in. It's there. You can use it or not use it. You can choose whichever one you want before or after. It's pretty easy. So, yeah. so you can also tailor it to your personal preferences. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. What I what I like to do before a session is do like a uh, controlled hyperventilation, like Wim Hof style. Yeah. And yeah. I've also noticed that actually 
uh, during the session. So when I start a session and let's say the first one or yeah. two minutes, I, I, I do the controlled hyperventilation, the colors yeah. get, they, they get brighter. And also the- Well, of course they will. <laughs> but that I personally, I think that's fascinating. So I'd yeah, I know. love to know why, like- Well, because the, the, the Wim Hof, you know, you're supercharging the sympathetics and you're destabilizing uh, uh, your resting brain states. So you're unsticking the brain and you're pushing more energy and oxygenation up into the brain. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the colors go like full on Bali <laughs> tropical fish and the geometrics are like, you know, like blasto masto Star Trek stuff. And um, yeah, uh, that, you know, the, we only have one brain and the brain has a set of natural capacities I became less and less interested in the agents and more and more interested in the endpoint action. Like if you order something online, are you, does it really matter whether DHL or FedEx brings it to your door? Those are the agents, right? What you want is the stuff you bought. Mm -hmm. And to me, there are all of these different agencies that allow us to move into these attractive, very natural brain states. And that's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's why when I use the word psychedelic, I usually mean it as an adjective. It's just like psychedelic art. You don't eat the art to trip, right? I mean, psychedelic is an adjective. The brain has a natural psychedelic capacity. Psychedelic meaning mind manifesting, right? Mm. Literally. So the brain has the natural capacity to manifest more of its innate processing for periods of time. We can't be there all the time because that is information saturation state, but very low on integration. So again, the hero's journey, you got to come back from the underground back into your life with whatever discoveries or treasures you've had, then you've got to use them. And, and the hero's journey is for the benefit of others. We would say you have to integrate it into your life. That's why it's very, I think that's why cultures go do go crazy every once in a while, but on a regular basis, like Mardi Gras or Carnival or something like that, right? Or, or like now, like in the, like Burning Man. Why? Well, there, there is a psychological recognition that we've got to let go every once in a while because every circadian cycle, we let go a whole bunch. Our dreams are letting go for memory consolidation and trauma resolution and all that, but you got to let let it go. The hypnagogic, the fourth state, you got to let it go. And some people develop a skill where they're better able at letting go, not passively abandoning, but they're better able at flowing in the now, to quote uh, Tolle again, or being present or being intuitive or being genuine, call it whatever you want, that we're not confined absolutely to the cubic box-like integration of our beliefs. You know, the uh, Carl Friston working with Carl Harris, you know, this, you heard about this Rebus thing? I think it's in the paper, Rebus. Yeah. It's an acronym. Yeah, relaxing existing beliefs using psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And here you can take out the word belief and just say neurological patterns, beliefs, habits, or whatever. And I would say relaxing existing beliefs using something something instead of psychedelic specifically because it's an s and it's a dumb acronym right but 
ask me something like using the methods, walk in the woods, sit on the bed, using these methods to recognize what you're doing is you're softening the glue on organized systems that may not be serving you as well as they did in the past. That there are things that have to change. Like if you take a, a jar of honey with a bunch of toothpicks in it, and you put that in the fridge, then you take it out of the fridge and you want to rearrange the toothpicks. Mm -hmm. What do you have to do? You got to put the honey in the sunlight. The honey has solidified, so the toothpicks are in a pattern that won't change. So we have to learn how to unstick a stuck brain. We have to learn how to soften the glue of our overly rigid neurological patterns or habits or skills or perceptions or beliefs. One of the most fascinating things to me of all uh, in terms of cognition is this thing called the axiom. Right, an axiom. Uh, technically, an axiom, slightly different definitions. An axiom is a self-evident truth that requires no proof. A self-evident truth self that requires no proof. Requires no proof, right? And we all, okay, we all suffer, we all have axioms. Normally, it's called reality. <laughs> our, our perspective on reality is so self-evident. There's nothing to prove. You know, the, my epistemology, my, tech, my way of ontology is what is, and epistemology is how you know what is, right? So we're very convinced that we know what is. How much of that is axiomatic? How much of that is just a very convenient, personal, protective, culturally reinforced axiom? And then every once in a while, we get that feeling of it for you and your gut. It's like, wait a minute here. You know, and it's hard. It's hard to see past the veil of our absolute belief in what we believe. Mm -hmm. it's, it, I mean, that's a challenge. A lot of our axioms are false. But we don't know that. But we get weird feelings. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Again, in, the in bottom two, up is trying to is messaging, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You come again, back to that word again, dude. Yeah, right. I, I just, I just wanted to say that sounds again for me uh, a lot like intuition, and a self-evident mm -hmm. truth that requires no proof. Okay, that's that's something that sticks. This has to do with trauma, I think, as well. And then thinking about, of the, course, major, major, major. Thinking about the the neurovisor again and the the yeah. dynamics that happen within that bottom up top down whole brain dynamic, yeah. would you then also say that yeah. the neurovisor could release certain trauma, like whether it's mentally or subconsciously? What's your thought? Hearing you speak, I would say yes. But then I, I agree. I, I would like to try the, to understand the dynamics a bit better of how that actually happens. Then okay. Uh, I'd be happy to explain some amount. Uh, the fact is, is that I've just finished a whole new collection of what we'll call compositions, light sound uh, experiences that are neurologically targeting that specifically, specifically. Uh, okay, the amygdala, people talk about the amygdala. The amygdala is a, is a feature of our brain. We're two of them. The amygdala means almond. It's kind of shaped like an almond, but they're not almonds. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they, along with hippocampus, they're basically 
concentrated emotional processing depots in the brain. And they also act as a like a security guard for inflowing information that's bottom up. So the amygdala. And some of the, uh, I think folks are increasingly more aware of EMDR. Mm -hmm. uh, EMDR is, uh, you know, it's about 30 year old psychological technique that's gained a lot more attention because the neuro the neurology of the technique is now better understood. Uh, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR. And the idea is that the lateralized movement of the eyes uh, through a certain set of neurological cascades does a few things. The most important thing is it down-regulates the sensitivity in the amygdala. So when you have a, a, a sensitive threshold and you have trauma, classically these days referring to PTSD, classically post-traumatic stress disorder, that when you encounter factor X, it triggers a threat alarm because of past experience. Mm. So you get this thing. So you're not able to re-engage in that or similar experience or anything that resembles it because it's danger, danger, danger. The lateralization of the eyes neurologically reduces the sensitivity in the amygdala. So you can be exposed to the same memory or thought or condition or location or person. Now the experience is what we'll call more neutral. Mm -hmm. Then you're able to reconfigure it at a better rate. <clears throat> so there's brand new research. It's, I mean, it's about a year and a half old now uh, that I've worked with where we're able to do that process uh, with bilateral stimulation with light. The, by even with your eyes closed, with the, the specific frequencies at a certain rate and everything from the research, that if you do that, it triggers that process. And what is so cool about it is, in, in my case, it isn't just because in EMDR, then when you, you're in this state, then you work with the therapist with ideas or processing. So the therapist takes advantage of that neurological event, the amygdala's more less sensitive in this case we can package into the light the the vectored kind of stimulation point and move in a certain direction of say calm rest or relaxation so that when you're doing this you have it on i haven't released this yet when you have it on uh what you do either during the process is you begin to recall by memory or imagination the issues that are challenging for you are fearful or traumatic. And what happens is actually the thoughts are there, but the emotional reactivity isn't. Mm. So you're, you're able to start to manipulate those again, but in a more neutral uh, manner. Yeah. And, and or you do the same thing in the hyperplastic period, meaning you do it and right after that you can like journal or talk to a friend or just sit back and reflect yourself. And what happens is, wow, that stuff that used to really flip me out, is not flipping me out as much. I can see, now I can start to see, you know, famously, now I can see from a different point of view. Mm. So 
even the neurovisor as it is functions like this because it does work to relax existing beliefs using something. You know, you're softening the glue. But neurologically, you can get more specific than that. Okay. Right now, I think I can better understand one of my previous experiences with the neurovisor as well because there was this one time that I did a mm -hmm. session. It was a, a couple of months ago where I ex yeah. experienced something uh, particular because I... I had that, like these visions coming forward, almost from the back of my brain. It felt. <laughs> and okay, we'll it, talk more about that. Keep going. Yeah. But there, they yes. weren't. They weren't thoughts. And with those visions, it was also, yeah, things like something that I experienced either in a previous life or at least it was not common uh -huh. to me as the the Greg that is twenty six years old right now. So hearing you speak, yeah. I. Yeah. I, I do believe that I experienced something uh, like that. Yeah, I, I would I would agree, and you know it's it makes me I don't know, kind of excited or something. Neurologically, the 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 topographical networks and like common consciousness they they propagate from the front to the back. Yeah. In the uh, in in the actual psychedelic experience, means using compounds has been well researched. Uh, mostly, well, well, there are a number of elements and agencies doing it. The the flow switches where it becomes more from the back to the front. Mm, wow, that is the that is the direct neurology. Wow, that, I mean that's absolutely brain imaged and and the whole thing. So that it's the difference of the propagation because the front or prefrontal cortex, thinky thinky thinky, the back visual cortex, the 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 massive most uh, hungry sensory bottom-up processor is mostly the back the visual cortex along with auditory and parietal mm. but so i mean when you said it came from the back to the front i'd go neurologically bingo man that yeah. that was a a quote unquote a psychedelic insight but not psychedelic compound mm. You, you, you do the entropic on your we don't much have time now but you know the entropic brain theory uh robin carhart harris uh, imperial college uk uh it is the most clarifying brain modeling that uh to date along with friston's work on you know you know the friston teamed up if you know carl friston you know he's 98 percent of all the brain imaging technology in the world is because of this guy i mean mm. that, that's how brilliant it is and, and he works in and uh, you know communication presses and you know predictive all this stuff that I like and um, uh, he gets together with Robin Carrot Harris who is the, the leading edge psychedelic researcher not researching psychedelics but using psychedelics as a tool to research the brain okay right so it's not like I, I want to know more about acid or, or mescaline or something let's use this to just to explore the brain because this helps the brain do something let's see what that is. So they got together and what comes out of it is first is entropic, like entropy, the entropic brain. The, the next title, so I mean, it's kind of cool. It's called the anarchic brain, like anarchy, mm -hmm. the anarchic brain. Uh, anarchy means no leader, like monarchy means one leader, king right, or queen, monarchy. Anarchy, an anarchist, uh, anarchy is a leaderless state. Well, the brain is naturally anarchic at certain periods of time it abandons 
the neocortex new brain secondary consciousness and goes leaderless into the primitive first consciousness of pure information harvesting. So mm -hmm. the brain naturally abandons leadership, cognitive cortex, rational leadership, regularly, oh, wow. predictably, and naturally. We do it every circadian cycle. We can't be our best without going crazy. And understand, I don't mean like crazy in a negative way. We, we must be able regularly to loosen the glue of in, in integrated patterns because those patterns are not forever perfect. Things change. We need to change. Adaptation is the key. Success and survival is for those that adapt the best. Mm. And part of adaptation is being able to let go of what used to work but doesn't work. Or we made a mistake and that habit is deeply ingrained. I think some of the most challenging psychological demands exist as golfers. You know, I, you're like just that perfect grip for that perfect swing. And all these years they've held the left thumb like two inches higher and now they got to put it, you know, I can't, I couldn't do it. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, anyway, this, this thing is you're going to have to change. Do you know how to change? And if you don't know how to change, it's a crapshoot. So I think learning to not hold too tightly to habits, learning to not hold too tightly to beliefs or our expectations is healthy mm -hmm. but i'm not saying throw throw the baby up with the bath water here but i think it's the rewards are way too high to abandon there's a little bit of risk because maybe you gotta change your mind <laughs> yeah and that's and and, that, and that's scary obviously <laughs> yeah because yeah we want to be correct you know stay within our comfort yeah well Unfortunately, the comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller because there's more and more demand that we're not responding to. So it's like I only eat one thing in the same restaurant at the same time of day. And if I don't, you know, I get diarrhea and headaches and well, you know, exercise our brain, mind, brain. What, what I also hear you say, Garnet, is from a top down approach looking back again at uh, these processes, it's understandable that we stay within our comfort zone, so to say, but then also yeah. thinking about the bottom up. And again, the quote, you can't think your way out of a problem, but you can feel your way into the solution for, for your brain to become healthy. Then also to consciously step out of that comfort zone eventually improves the, the, the functionality of the brain as well but marginally out of it. You don't have to be, oh, like if you've never done ice baths before and you just like jump in, I'm going to do it every day. Physically, you know, there's a, there's a, an adaptation period to adaptation. And this is where we're not very good. We don't have this common sense. You know, we, we tend to be so driven by ideas and techniques and methods and authorities that it's hard to know because bottom-up is sensory, but it isn't just from the external senses. It's also what's called interoception, right? Or neuroception, 
like the environment that we that we are constantly sourcing for information through the senses also includes what I'll call inside the body. It isn't just what's outside. So when you go walking in the woods, the feelings that you're having about being there, they're not outside someplace. They're inside. You know, that's like, I'll go back to the music thing. We are attracted to music, not because of the sound we hear, but because of the experience we have when we hear that sound. So there, there's a processing uh, because, you know, there are uh, people that like don't have any sense of smell or something. Well, you know, there's they don't get anything from fragrance because they can't process. So the the information that we get is sensory. It, it's it's in the realm. It's, it's a somatic quality and it's converted in some kind of magical process mm -hmm. so that it becomes an experience, what we call an experience. And again, Stanislav Grof. The only way to have an experience is to experience the experience. So when you're in front of that flower, resist. What's the name of this flower? Even to say it's a flower. You know, uh, the, a short story. This is a long time ago. Uh, you know, I did my fair share of psychedelics. Um, I don't do much now. I do it because of microdosing and so on and so on. But um, I always had great experiences. I mean, it was a very good thing for me. And I remember... Uh, I was friends in the backyard. It's nighttime, and um, I'm out there walking, and I, I find this thing. It's kind of the low light. There's a little bit of light from the house, but it's dark. And I see this this thing, uh, and I can't figure out what it is. It looks alive, but I like. But I don't. Is it an animal? Is it like a massive insect, or what is this thing? So the next morning, I go out there, right in the daylight. And it was just a, a rubber, a, a kid's rubber ball. That's <laughs> all that it was. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, learning to let go, but also because, you know, like the neurovisor is primarily bottom up, but it also has top down integrative elements built into it. So I don't just like throw spaghetti against the wall here. That I, I, I work with a process that gets attention softens the glue, uh, introduces signal, puts demands on the signal, and then rewards the return to the signal. You know, so there's an actual methodology here. And that means that I'm working primarily bottom-up, but actually you can't have bottom-up without top-down. That's the, it, It's like yin and yang. It's complementary. Mm -hmm. It's just that my approach is primarily bottom up and that I worked with bottom top down resources to complement it. Many other systems work. Guided imagery is top down. Brain entrainment, top down. Even <clears throat> early mindfulness practice is top down. Interestingly, matured mindfulness practice becomes bottom up. Okay. Explain that. Yeah. I'm curious to hear. Well because, well, because in the beginning, it's cognitive, it's decisive, it's a decision. You're doing something. It's based on a concept. You know what you're doing. You're giving yourself mental direction, and you do it. And what that is, that's a pure top-down process. You're shaping the information according to your demands and principles. And because most people, most of us are not even aware that we're having experience, that's a real good place to start. However, over time, 
there is uh, an ability and a willingness to allow experience to speak its own voice instead of wanting to shape the voice of the experience. Let the experience talk to you. You know, what? I, I don't know, what, what, what is something, what is it? You know, praying is when you talk to God, meditating is when you listen. I heard yes, that one. Yes, yeah, 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 I've heard that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if it's true, but it was like clever. So, you know, the the, the journey that I'm on uh, in my life, it's the same as everybody's journey, I guess, but, you know, it's I've had this constant fascination and love and respect for this process of, of discovery and not discovery for the sake of of excitement but because it kind of feels like going home you know there, i don't know what to call it it's just like you know it feel i don't even i don't even know what going home means you know but seeking, it's you know seeking, famously william james it, it's ineffable i don't know how to explain it maybe you know? seeking authenticity it sounds a yeah bit that's fair well. yeah 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 you know the uh the idea of, yeah, all of that, all of that. And I think that uh, for some of us, it's more important than others. You know, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, I mean, obviously, if you need food, clothing and shelter, uh, that's very, very, very important. You know, that what's the meaning? The meaning is if you don't, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So I, I get that. Uh, however, you know, in most cases, we're not suffering at that level. Uh, the There's an existential appetite because we have enough food and you've got good clothes and so do I, you're in a shelter, it's okay. Meaning, even the even like, what does it mean? Like, it doesn't have a meaning. That's why, okay, too many. Uh, I have a lot of ideas, but we, we don't about, have to go down uh, every one of them. About meaning? About uh, what meaning? Yeah, well, I don't know if life means anything. You know, the meaning of life is is known by living as directly and honestly and nakedly as possible and then you know we're story making animals you know we 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 love like the flower until we love to give things names because it makes us feel more comfortable we love to give things names and even like the unknown because we call it the unknown it makes it feel better what's that that's the unknown uh, yeah you're right i you're right i feel better now right yeah. You know, thinking is not bad. Thinking is what the mind does. The idea of like you shouldn't think. Um, I think you just like thinking is what the mind does. Sometimes it does more. Sometimes it does less. It's like clouds in the sky. I mean, it happens. And uh, so, you know, what I'm what I'm listen, I'm exploring as much as anybody about being alive. And the neurovisor is an expression. You know, I love learning. I always have learning is certainly best when it's shared for some reason i get good ideas and i'm very grateful for that and i'm pretty good at methods and interdisciplinary methods so kind of like i'm doing my best to do my best because if you're not doing that what else do you do right i do want to recognize you for for doing your best because this is a device that well, thank you has definitely uh, made made an impact on 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 me personally. And hearing you speak about mm -hmm. what the exact dynamics are of yeah. of the device, and also it makes me understand better what actually happens during a session. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It's funny because before before this interview, I I sent you a one pager right with different topics that I wanted to discuss. Yeah. My my top my top down brain 
Here we wanted to create some structure around it. So identify different topics like top down uh, versus bottom up, brain entrainment versus brain yeah. engagement. We talked about the fourth state of consciousness. So I had all these like different topics that I eventually that eventually I was like thinking about some structure, how would they would fit in the neurovisor device. Uh -huh. But at some point also during this conversation, I really realized that they're not separate, right? That they're they're not at all. Not at all. <laughs> there's only one topic here it's only one topic and that's funny because yeah. that's also something I, that i realized like throughout this conversation i was like okay it's it's not about discussing one topic going to the next they're really like interwoven no. yeah it's only one brain it's not like we've got six or seven different ones well what do you think what are your next steps in the realm of like combining cognitive enhancement uh with consciousness what do you think is on the horizon? Um, well, I think a lot of shit is on the horizon. That that kind of scares me. Um, I, I think, you know, so against that backdrop of discomforting change, the COVID two-year thing, like, oh, I think that um, there's always need, but I think that the need is likely to increase there are going to be a lot of different attempts at solving that challenge. Uh, I don't, I think the resurgence of psychedelics in the popular discussion is not a surprise. I think that uh, we have technical uh, capacities that we didn't have before. I think every, a lot of people are talking about AI and chat and all all these things so there's a lot going on i think that um i wrote a white paper last year or so and my my great business partner christian barman and it's called entertainment for a change double meaning because i think that with attention levels being so short and change being so demanding and scary I think, and life driving us so fast for most everybody, we just don't have time. You know, the the traditional spiritual, you know, practices and techniques, they pretty much came out of periods when people had a much less demanding time. Uh, you know, there was no electricity going back to that theme. The seasons oftentimes kept you, you know, stuck in your, in your house or whatever. Right now, it's a point where if we can do our best to grasp essential truths and shape them into more available access, that that's probably the best we can do because there's a lot of change. I think there's going to be discomfort probably. Like how do we navigate that? How do we adapt to that? We could adapt by forgetting about purpose and meaning and just getting loaded and saying, you know, I'll just, you know, just pass out and wake up in another life or something. Or we can get horribly disturbed and not know what to do or try to find some way. So I, I don't want to make this too broad, but it, it is the truth of what I feel. I think that it's a big risk. We have to be very careful, but it is possible to have certain kinds of expedient, I won't call them shortcuts, but expedient means to get closer to what we want and need to do in less time because we don't have a lot of time 
-hmm. You know, I used to be at, because I was in healthcare practice, like what's the best exercise? And I always say, well, that's easy. It's not easy at all. There's so many kinds. I said, no, man, it's really easy. Is it bullshit? What is the best exercise? I said, the best exercise is the one you're going to do. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All the rest is, is theoretical foam. So in, in terms of, we'll call it the spiritual quest or the existential journey or self-discovery or growth, the things that are going to work best are the ones you actually do. And all the rest is just attractive, interesting theory. So when we look at all the methods, one of the reasons why I chose 11 minutes, some people say, why 11 minutes? It's like some kind of like tarot number or something. I know, you know, yeah. neuro neurologically, the average adult brain can maintain uninterrupted attention and focus for 10 to 12 minutes. And then most people's brains can refresh one time. There's enough local neurotransmitters. They can refresh attention a second time. So what you end up with is kind of like, uh, you know, around like 20 minutes or so, 18 to 22 minutes. And then, you know, that's the TED talk. That's the, the traditional TM meditation, 20 minutes. That's that's out of business stuff, but the halo of motor cortex primer, you do it 20 minutes. Why? Because, you know, that's, that's how the brain works. <clears throat> Even the old TV shows, when there were TV shows with ads, the half hour TV show minus the advertisements was 22 minutes. Hmm, interesting. So yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so like you break it up, little thing, a little there, but you know, like you can observe and you can pretty much get a complete hit by refreshing twice. So I think, well, that's cool. So I'm going to hit it hard on the primary cycle. The first 10 to 12 minutes. So because 11 is in between 10 and 12, I chose 11. Yeah. I don't know. It's stupid. Right. <clears throat> but it could have been 10. It would have been fine. Okay. Right? So it's like, well, why? Because that's a solid hit. Mm -hmm. That's a solid hit. Because our time is limited. If somebody wants to do two in a row, okay, do two. You know, that's okay. But four is not like better than two. And so I, I want to get you know, my philosophy is try to do the most, no, try to achieve the most while doing the least, right? Achieve the most doing, you know, like right now, I won't do it. Okay, if I take this paper and I hold it up in the air and I let it go, as soon as I let it go with gravity, it's going to fall. It doesn't wait past that threshold. As soon as it hits the threshold, it falls. Mm-hmm. Right. So neurologically, as soon as you hit threshold, duh, you know, drop the barbell. You did it. For the future, what I see is in my world, I I keep learning and I love it. Uh, I really, really want to learn and work with a, a bunch of smart people. I I'm avidly pursuing other technical advantages. You know, there's talk, and my partner is, you know, very big on open sourcing as a, you know, a principle. Well, I just, I, I value shared experience and shared ideas. And so far, I'm doing really well. Uh, but I, I mean, I fully expect there are people that can do what I do better than me. And I'd like to spend time with them. Um, you know, I'm very strong on the light side. I'm pretty good with, I'm not a trained neuroscientist. But, you know, I've had a reasonable education and I, I like learning and I'm smart. So if, as long as you're willing to read, like, there's a lot of stuff that's available. But, you know, uh, and I have certain opportunities. I would love to work with very advanced, sound, 
musicologists, people, people that are like, they, because mm. I'm good. I'm good uh, in that area, but I'm not great. I'm really good. I, I can claim that, but I'm not great. On the light stuff, I, I think I'm doing fine. Uh, and I, I can act as a kind of a leader, something or other there, at least for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, the future, I think, I think that I think technology is, you know, I call the interest uh, in biophilic technology, biophilia, love, uh, life loving technology uh, instead of biophobic technology. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I'm a big fan of biophilic technology, where the, the technology is an augmentation and extension in a positive way of our natural organic biological capacities so i think i think technology can be biophilic i'm wearing glasses that's an example of a biophilic technology uh and um we don't think about it much but if i didn't have glasses i probably couldn't see very clearly <laughs> you know so i'm i'm not a i'm not against uh technology uh in uh, enabling a, a, you know I, I don't know about the whole trans human android I'm really happy about dentistry. You know, there are all these things that uh, are, are are good. You know, so that's okay. And uh, yeah, I yeah. Uh, I echo what you're saying. I'm wearing one of those aura rings as well. I think I'm quite a. a I saw it. I saw it. Biophilic too, and I definitely think that these uh-huh. kind of tools or devices can improve yeah. life and, and well-being overall. So, yeah, but 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 let's not let's make sure that they don't take the place of what you've been calling intuition, because. The most sensitive biometric device on earth is our own body. Let's, let, it's like the, the phone thing. You know, I mean, you hear it all the time. It's true. Uh, I used to remember people's phone numbers. I don't, I don't even remember my wife's phone number. <laughs> but I can call her, which I did earlier today. Right? Yeah. So I think we have to be a little bit careful with how much we rely on metric-based information what you're saying that the the body should be like the first metric whether it's sleep yeah. or how you feel or whatever you're processing uh yeah, it's yeah, yeah. coming coming back to the basics as well i think like trusting your body in that sense listening to it yeah. and uh having yeah. this having yeah, being connected as well i think is very important so i definitely echo what you uh what, what you yeah, want to yeah. emphasize absolutely I don't know what it's like you like in the evening sometimes because uh, you know I like to research and my my productive time is early in the day after 3 p.m. I go you know down and by the evening forget it you know it takes me three hours what I can do in 30 minutes in the morning uh, so and so it's like okay I'm going to read something of this or do that and I I just say wait a minute stop what do you feel I feel tired okay just put the put the iPad down just like roll over on your side. And breathe and relax. It's like, wow, man, I'm holding so much stress right now. I don't really have to read. And then I start to scan my body. I thought, God, man, I feel awful. I feel all this tension, you know, and and I'm not breathing. And so, wait, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Just, just roll on my or lay in my back and breathe, and just start to feel what you feel. And I think, you know what I feel right now? I feel tense and tired. And then I start to let go, and I start to let go. And quote, unquote, it's way too early to go to bed. 
bam, I am out. Next morning, it's like 10 hours. What happened? Dude, you were tired. <laughs> yeah, it's called, you were tired. <laughs> that happens. Is that like so is that so mysterious, right? Like that's, I don't know how, how I can possibly understand that. <laughs> no, like why push? Like why read another article? Like, you know, why torture yourself when you can just like relax mm -hmm. when you're tired? <laughs> and, and many people don't have that connection to their bodies as well. I think they just like, well, well, I don't, you know, uh, I'll refer, you know, uh, uh, okay. Like smoking weed. Uh, for me, uh, again, I'm referring to the past. I, I'm like a boring guy now. I don't do much of anything, right? But that, um, like, okay, take a couple of hits. Just feel, like, all this tension in my body. Like, I didn't, I wasn't even aware that I was so tight mm -hmm. until, like, oh, you start to relax. And then, you know, your shoulders go, conk. I didn't even know my shoulders were up until they, they went down. So, you know, if we if we think all this magic metric supplement device thing is going to penetrate this kind of veil of unawareness, uh, we're going to probably waste a bunch of time. And so I think as high as the tech goes, that's that's great. I'm for it. However, at the same time, let's make sure that the fundamentals of awareness relaxation, communication, social, sleep. I was going to say the F word, sleep. <clears throat> That's one of the, 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 the strongest benefits of using the neurovisor, as I'm reported, uh, is that uh, people are sleeping better. That's why I came up with that theory of the fourth state deficiency syndrome as a circadian cycle disruption. And when the circadian cycle gets disrupted in any way, one of the first symptoms of this syndrome is sleep disturbance. That the fourth state deficiency syndrome is a collection of, of different expressions or symptoms, right? They seem to be many things, but it's really one thing like metabolic syndrome, right? So fourth state deficiency syndrome will manifest in a few predictable ways. One is disturbed sleep because your circadian cycle is disrupted. The other is tiredness in the day or lack of focus or diminished memory or maybe like GI problems, mm -hmm. right? Or discomforting dreams or nightmares. Like all these things to me are probably symptomatic of a syndrome that involves a circadian cycle disruption like you know we know that people like you know the flight attendants or jet pilots or people that work night shifts all these things or any of us that we, we know that for the average human being that our melatonin kicks in at around 10 11 p.m that's when it kicks in melatonin doesn't make you sleep right? Melatonin enables the sleep process to occur. So it, it, it like it unlocks a process. It is not itself the process. Mm. Melatonin is not a sleep aid in the sense it's not, it doesn't make you sleepy. It opens the physiological actions that will create and induce sleep. 
but melatonin itself is just it's a key that opens a process it's not okay. the process itself but anyway okay so there are night owls and morning larks i guess they call them so we do have some some you know circadian differentials but if we don't obey this very simple four states that happen every day biologically but we try to override that with you know, certain behaviors or certain technologies or certain supplements or something like that, you know, it's like, no, your hand hurts because it's in the fire. You can take pain meds, you can, uh, but I'd say the first thing to do is like, take your hand out of the fire. Get the basics right. So, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're biological organisms on a planet that has a solar cycle. It's a circadian and that, you know, we're mammalian, we're not nocturnals and that we have a certain kind of rhythm because we have you know shelters that are weatherproof and we have lights and heaters and air conditioners and the whole thing you know when i was building my house up in the mountains uh, here in northern thailand for a period of time uh had to live in a, in a dome tent we thought it was going to be for a couple of weeks my wife and i turned out to be three and a half months at that time because i also do wild animal rescue work with primates uh, southeast asian apes given uh, we we I had Gibbons living with us in the tent. Uh, I can't explain, but um, anyway, but no electricity. We're in like the forest in the mountains in this tent overlooking a stream where our house is being built, living with these Gibbons, and, and like they they conk out. The sun goes down and they're adios. Uh, and then, you know, 4.30 a.m., like, hello, the Oscar, this one guy used to swing and jump in my chest. Come on, Dad, let's go. So, <laughs> and, you know, it's, you know, it felt good. It yeah. felt good to follow that rhythm. And like, it felt kind of peaceful. I can imagine. I would say. It was like peaceful, except for Oscar jumping in my chest at 430. <laughs> but other than that, other than that. So I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are saying this. this is nothing original. I'm not like, you know, insightful or smart because of saying this. And yet at the same time, we can avoid it uh, or deny it maybe. Uh, and then things like the nerve visor comes along. It's going to work best if you're more friendly with the, the truth of your body. You know, it's not going to make everything fine when you're acting like an idiot in any other way. You know, expectation, it's a good thing. And it, and it works and it's it like, it works like, frankly, it works better than I thought it would. Because mm. uh, a lot of it, I based it on theory. Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't have any predicate. I've done, you know, biofeedback. I'm, you know, educated and then brain and train. I've done that. You know, I guess it's no secret. I'm 73. So I've been around for a while. I mean, you very gently said where I started off in the human potential <laughs> movement. <laughs> it's like, well, that's a nice way of saying it. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, I'm fine. You know, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And uh, I, I'm, I, you know, I'll risk arrogance, but my what I'll call my mind again. I'm not sure what that is. My mind works better now than at 45, mm -hmm. and my mind was good at 45. Either something good is happening, or I'm deluded. But right now, my experience is like I'm doing some of the best, most creative, demanding discovery and invention right now that I've done in my whole life. I think you know. Okay, I'm, I I live a pretty clean life. You know, I I do. You know, my what I'll call spiritual practices. I'm not sure if that's the right word anymore. But then also, you know, maybe I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that you kind of make your own luck. 
or at least you can help make your own luck. And in this case, you know, the uh, in classes I teach or whatever, I oftentimes say, how many of you want to live a long life? Just, to, you know, essentially, I'll say everybody puts their hand up. And I say, okay, that's good. Uh, are you aware that in industrialized countries, most of us live in them, statistically, between the ages of 80 and 85, the statistical probability of a form of dementia, Alzheimer's the most famous, is about 50-50 at this point. Oh, wow. That's a head twitch. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, hey, happy birthday. You're 83. Here's a coin. Flip it. Heads, you're fine. Tails, you know, you'll meet new people and go to new places every day. That's one of the advantages of Alzheimer's. You don't remember anything. You know, that's horrible. So I think, well, that used to seem like a long ways away. Like, oh, you said you're 29. You're, you're going to be 73 tomorrow. Yeah. That's yeah. the way it works. Mm hmm. Well, it's not like the temporal thing is like, it gets weird, dirt. So, you know, I, I had the good chance. I don't know if you know, you know, Buckminster Fuller, who he was. Anyway, he's a brilliant, you know, uh, thinker and genius from the past century. Geodesic dome, all these things. That's him. Anyway, I had the good, very good fortune of spending his last birthday with him because of a friend. There are only like seven or eight of us there. And um, so I got on this Chinese character, this bronze thing. And it said, you know, it's, I gave it to him and I said, Bucky, here, you know, happy birthday. And he said, well, what's this? As a Chinese character, I said, well, what I was told, I don't read Chinese. I said, well, this is a uh, character from China and it means long life. And he looked at me, I mean, really, he's a real humble guy, genius, you know, in every way. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, long life. He says, what good is a long life if you don't do something good with it? He's passed now, so I have that on my, my wall in my office. And it's a reminder that, yeah, you know, longevity, superhuman, I want to be 120, whatever it is. Well, that's nice. This is I don't know, like a little bit crude. What do you call an asshole that lives to 120? An old asshole. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you, you know, you know the, the, the quality of what we're doing with all of this stuff, you know, like, Why? I know what, but why? Mm. And I won't say why because everybody has their own personal answer. But to me, you know, th this this insightful, reflective motivation, I think, is really good. Mm -hmm. It's it's really well more than good. I think it's necessary. So you know, I try to frame the work that I do, and, and with my partners and people in my company, I try to frame it uh, in that way, so that. Like I'm a lot more interested, as I've already mentioned, I'm a lot more, well, I am interested in, in healing and learning and and discovery than I am in profit and power and fame. Mm -hmm. Th those things don't motivate me. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of, well, I'm not repulsed by them, but I think they're dangerous. That's all. I think they're dangerous. Yeah. yeah and I just also want to, want, want to say that that's really apparent in the work that you're doing. Whether it's, I appreciate that. The, the the neurovisor is one example of that i would also like to basically to thank you for explaining all the complex di dynamics and your findings of mm. that experience so far because you bring a lot of wisdom with you i think for the listener it was also a very great opportunity to go with you on mm. the things that you've experienced in okay. your life so uh -huh. i think yeah. that's i think that's very valuable for coming back to what you said mm. that you're previously mentioned that you also think it's important to share your experience 
And like this is one way of doing it with a podcast. Yeah. Well, I thank you. It's it's you're very comfortable to be with. Mm -hmm. um, you're you're a very good conversationalist. You know, you're genuine. Uh, it's um, it makes it easy to hang up together. And uh, I have to say, I mean, you're the one that's that offered the opportunity. So thank you. All I had to do is sit here and talk. So, yeah. You know. Thank you. <laughs> And and I really enjoyed it. And I and I will make sure that in the show notes there's also all the links to like the Neurovisor website, uh, the the Instagram, your uh, personal uh, pages, uh, so they can yeah. look up maybe some so, some papers as well that you've written. Uh, yeah, that are yeah, available. I write a lot. I'll, I'll give a plug if anybody knows Biohackers Magazine mm -hmm. uh, out of the U.S. Jean Falakara and uh, Dallas McLean and Arjun. It's a great. They do a great thing. Uh, and I, I admire their work. They've been very kind. They've published a number of my papers. They say I, there's a certain perspective that I represent, uh, and that's I think I hope it's a good thing. And um, I don't I don't know when you're you're going to do what you do, but uh, I mean I'm proud of this. I have to admit it's unique. They're they're going to do a special edition uh, in May uh, about me. You know, cover change maker and oh wow, the whole thing is like it's um, interview with me and. Uh, I don't know, but six of my papers and interviews that I'm doing. So That's I don't know. Maybe they ran, they ran out of material and they thought they could do yeah. one edition on one guy. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, it's a very, uh, I think they do an excellent job. I admire what they do. Uh, mm -hmm. Owner Jean Falacara is, a, I can say, a, more and more of a friend. He's a, they do a good thing, Biohackers Magazine. So if your listeners aren't aware, it's a good thing by good people. Mm -hmm. um, you can check it out. They have digital and then real copy. I will make sure to uh, to put a link in the in the in the description and the show notes as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Biohackersmagazine.com. For for the listeners uh, of this episode, I would like to thank you for listening to this conversation with Garnet Dupuis. Many thanks, and I hope to see you at the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>